17. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. And we will do just that with singing of our first hymn, please, hymn number 29. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. <clears throat>
Psalm 88. Let's hear the word of God together. A song or psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician upon Meleth Lemeth, a mascal of Hermon the Ezraite. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I was a man that have no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves, Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me, thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Selah. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark? And thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. Will I suffer thy terrors? I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath have gone over me, my terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me, and my acquaintance into darkness. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. We'll turn to our hymn books once more, and we'll stand to sing in 511. I need thee, precious Jesus, for I am full of sin. My soul is dark and guilty. My heart is dead within. Hymn 511.
brought to the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew 26. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, and commencing at verse 36. Again, let's hear the word of God together. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. May the Lord and his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> the most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, how we bless you, how we magnify your great and your glorious name. For you are our God. And we thank you that you are God who is kind and compassionate, a God who is full of grace and mercy and truth, a God who is righteous, a God who is just, a God who is glorious and highly lifted up. And this morning we would come before your throne of grace with our songs of praise upon our lips and upon our hearts, for we desire to glory in all your goodness, for you are worthy to be praised. For you are great in all your dealings with your people. And this morning, our Father, we thank you that by your grace we are numbered amongst your people. That we are the people of God, saved by grace. Saved by the precious atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he is a great saviour. And is able to save to the uttermost. There's none who, beyond his reach... There's none who has sinned beyond redemption. We thank you, Lord, that you are God who can make the foulest clean. 
And we thank you that, Lord, you are doing that even this day as you call sinners to repentance and to faith and to walk in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, this morning we we bless you for one another and we would pray for one another. We pray for this fellowship. that Lord, you will come amongst us by the power of your Spirit that we may know your presence to be in the midst of this congregation and that you come and that you bless us. For, Lord, we are, we are poor and we are a needy people and we need to know the hand of God, the smile of God upon us as a people and as individuals and as families. And so we pray the Holy Spirit may do his work amongst us here in this place on this Lord's Day morning. We seek a blessing, Lord. To whom else can we turn? Lord, we look around and there's, there's fear in the, the faces of the people. But we thank you that as we behold the face of the Father through the Son, we have peace with our God. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised that you would cast out all fear. And you promised to be with us. You promised to hold us in the palm of your hand. You promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. And what precious promises these are. And Lord, we cling to those. We cling to them, Lord, because they are life indeed. And they, they comfort us. They, they give us hope for the future. They give us an eternal hope. That the day we will be with the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray for those who are suffering in body, mind and spirit. Lord, there are many amongst us who stay in such conditions, we, we humbly beseech you, Lord, to have your hand of healing upon them, to be gracious and kind and merciful, and that, Lord, you would work out your purpose in their lives and in our situations. We pray, Lord, we may look to you. We pray, Lord, for those who will be going through treatments and uh, consultants. We pray, Lord, for wisdom, for doctors and for nurses. We thank you for our health service. We thank you, Lord, that you've gifted men and women to care for the sick and to those who are downcast. And so, Lord, we acknowledge these are your good gifts to us as a nation. We pray for our poor, benighted nation again. Lord, again, it's been a week of turmoil, a week of accusation, a week of hypocrisy, a week, Lord, when men and women are hopeless in the future. Men and women are concerned for the day in which we live in. And we see a government, Lord, that offers no hope, which offers us no integrity and no righteousness. And so, Lord, we would pray that in your wrath you would remember mercy. Lord, we deserve such a government and such a day in which we live, even the nations of the world. We see conflict on every hand. We, we pray, Lord, that... Uh, the, the Prince of Peace may manifest himself in great power, that he may come amongst the nations and reveal his mighty hand. And we pray, Lord, that you'd raise up men and women who are just, men and women of integrity and of righteousness. Lord, these things seem impossible to us, but you are God who does the impossible. And so we look to you, Father, to come amongst the peoples of this nation, of the nations of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would come with an awakening power of the Spirit, that you would awaken the dead souls of men and women and boys and girls, that our eyes may be opened to the truth of the gospel, 
and that the Spirit of God may do a work, a mighty work of saving grace amongst the people of our nation. And Lord, we, we pray that that may be so here in the midst of us this morning. For any here who are strangers to grace, any here who do not know and love the Savior, those who have never confessed him, that Lord, you would speak to their hearts and reveal Jesus to them, the forgiver of sins. And so, Lord, we again humbly beseech you to work amongst us and all like-minded churches in our county and in our nation. We pray, Lord, a blessing upon your people as they worship the true and living God this morning. We pray again, Lord, for your word, that it may go forth with a clear sound, that, Lord, the Spirit of God may take it and apply it to hearts and to minds, and that all we do here this day may be to your praise and to your glory, that the Lord Jesus Christ may be uplifted. May he be known to us as we gather around this communion table later on this morning. May we know him to be with us and that to bless. And so far we ask these things with forgiveness of our every sin. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> stand to sing our third praise, which is 320. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. Hymn 320, stand to sing.
you'd like to turn your Bibles then to Psalm 88, Psalm 88, I know we looked at this um, a couple of Thursdays back, and we considered uh, the, the darkness of the soul that Haman the Ezraite was experiencing. What we can say about this man is not much, but what we can say is he was a man, a man who lived, a man who suffered under great affliction and great trial. And this psalm, many commentators refer to as the psalm of a dark night of a soul. You read it, as you heard, read this morning, you notice it ends with no hope. It ends in darkness. It's a dark psalm. It's a psalm, again, which I suggest to you is honest for Men and for women, it doesn't seek to pull the wool over our eyes, so to speak. It's a psalm which is honest, and it speaks of great affliction. It speaks of a man who appears to have his prayers not answered. It's a man who's in deep mourning, deep distress, in darkness. It's a man who has hope in God, despite all his affliction. Despite all his discomfort, he has hope in God. And he calls to God. Three occasions in this psalm. Verse 1, I've cried day and night before thee, he says. He's a man who has no vision of God, but yet he's a man who prays. He's a man who prays earnestly that God would intervene and come to his aid, and come to his rescue. And really, the crux of the psalm is to be found in verse 14. This is what grieves the psalmist's heart. This is what distresses him most of all. Lord, why hast thou cast off my soul? Why has my face been hidden from me? Why has God hidden his face from the psalmist. And this is what breaks his heart. Broken communion with a holy and a just and a righteous God. And we've seen this time and time again through the book of Psalms. Have they longed to be in the courts of the Lord, to be worshipping with the people of God? Have they longed to go up to Jerusalem to bring their offerings and praise to God? For there is where God reigned. That was the seat of God in Zion, Jerusalem. And this man, who is um, a son of Korah, he's a man who served in the temple. He's a man who had those privileges day and night to bring his worship to God. Yet even there, he feels deserted and abandoned. And we can feel that at times as the people of God. One commentator says he's glad this psalm is in the book, in the word of God, but he's glad it's the only one with such sentiment. So we considered this man, Haman the Ezraite, and his distresses in our last study. I want us to consider it as a psalm of the Messiah, as the Son of God. I want us to think, as we read this psalm, 
and feel the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's apt as we have the Lord's table set before us to consider the eternal Son of God. Yes, this is a psalm of Haman, the Ezraite, but he speaks of one who's greater. He speaks of the, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And there are words in here which correspond to um, our Lord's words, particularly there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to his disciples in uh, Matthew 26, 36, Then cometh Jesus unto them, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Even unto death. And he prays to his God. And in a sense, he feels that God is far from him. He feels that God has abandoned him. We know that the scriptures say that he began to sweat great drops of blood in the anguish that he felt. And we know that on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 14, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thy face from me? This is what the Son of God experienced. This is the condition he found himself to be in. The perfect, righteous Son of God who knew no sin, who had that constant communion with the Father in heaven, who prayed morning and night, who did the Father's will. He delighted to do the Father's will. And yet, he cries upon the cross in that moment of utter desolation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That echoes those words. Why hidest thy face from me? This was the desire of the psalmist. This was the desire of the people of God, that they would experience a smile and a blessing from God. This is what they longed for, for that deeper walk, that deeper experience with the true and the living God. And that psalm here, Psalm 88, depicts, I feel, the utter anguish that the Son of God was experiencing. With those who forsook him, verse 18, lover and friend thou hast put far from me. Peter says, I never forsake you. The other disciples say, we will stand with you no matter what. And then within a few hours, Peter is denying his Lord. Even with a curse and with an oath, strong cursings, he denies the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends have deserted me. My acquaintances become darkness. Why did God turn his face from his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did the eternal God submit the eternal son to such anguish? I think Isaiah, particularly Isaiah 53, 
helps us to understand the situation that the Son of God was enduring there upon the cross and in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Isaiah 53, 10, we read, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why did the Son of God suffer that abandonment? This may shock us to some degree. It pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord. We have the Lord there in capitals. It pleased, yet it pleased Yahweh, Jehovah. We read further down. And he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God the Father took pleasure in the suffering and death of his son. Now one has called that cosmic child abuse. What folly. What nonsense. This was no cosmic child abuse. This was the father and the son before eternity coming into covenant to save a people. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the image of God. In the likeness of God. And when they fell, we read the promise of the evangelical, the, the one who had come to bruise Satan's head. And we read that this covenant was before the foundation of the Father and the Son. They weren't surprised with the fall of Adam and Eve. It didn't take them by surprise. There was no plan B. This was in the foreknowledge of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased Lord God Almighty to bruise his son. This was the covenant they entered into. This was the way of redemption. There was no other way or means where men and women could be made right and righteous before a just and a holy God. And so we see here, in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, the sovereignty of God. The age-old question is, who was guilty for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? No. They were the instruments of God's hand, but it was God himself. God had planned this. This was God's design. This was God's way to bring redemption to a fallen humanity. And uh, God is sovereign. He was sovereign in the death and crucifixion of his son. It wasn't a surprise. It was foreordained by God himself. God sits upon the throne. God is sovereign. Now we talk about that, but do we believe it? The pains and sufferings which the psalmist went through in Psalm 88, 
are akin to the sufferings we go through and the disappointments we experience in life. But it's of God's sovereign hand. This is where the rubber hits the road, friends. All our pains and difficulties, our disappointments, our heartaches, it's all part of God's sovereign will and purpose for us. To conform us, to mould us into the image of his son. I believe with all my heart in the sovereignty of God. And Isaiah, again in Isaiah 46 and verse 9, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from my ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. That's what the word of God declares. That's what we believe as evangelical Christians. We believe in the sovereignty of God. The beginning and the end and the middle, and all between. He is sovereign. And he works out his sovereign purpose for his pleasure. I know some of the pains and difficulties some of us in the fellowship are going through. We don't know everybody's situation. But friend, there is one who does. God Almighty. And he has you in the palm of his hand. And he's working out that purpose. And that picture there in John speaks of, of God the Father holding his children in his hands. And one hand is clapped upon the other. And no one can pluck him from his hand. Eternally safe in the sovereign will and purpose of God the Father through the death of God the Son. So our God is sovereign. We're not to complain. We're not to moan about his dealings with us. As the Lord Jesus said, thy will be done. That's a sign of a, of a humble and a broken servant, surely. But why does the Isaiah say that? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What pleasure did the Lord gain from this? Three things. God is pleased by the redemption purchased. By the redemption purchased. The Son covenanted with God the Father to redeem a people for himself. And how did he do that? It's in verse 10 of Isaiah 53. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, shall make his soul, an offering for sin. Whose soul? The Lord Jesus Christ. His soul is made an offering for sin. He's a sin offering. We know the figures and the types in the Old Testament. We know that on the day of Passover, the Israelites were instructed to purchase a lamb 
And that lamb was to be without spot and without blemish. And that lamb was to be sacrificed. The father had to take that lamb and cut its throat. And the blood had to be shed on the doorpost and on the lintel. And that was a sign to the angel of death that blood had been shed and that death would not visit that house. An offering, a lamb. But we see here one who is pictured in that lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the spotless lamb of God. And right at his baptism, God declares that this is my son, even well pleased, on Transfiguration Mount. This is my son, listen to him. This is the lamb that God has appointed to be an offering for sin. And this lamb is never to be slain, never to be sacrificed again. It's a once for all sacrifice, an atoning work. So we see here the atonement that Jesus Christ had purchased for his people. These are great doctrines. The sovereignty of God. The atonement. If you look in church history, these are the doctrines which brought about revival. The Reformation with Luther and Calvin and the other great reformers. I know they didn't agree on every jot and tittle, but the great central doctrines they believed. You look in the American revivals and revivals in this country, in Wales, is when these great doctrines were taught. The sovereignty and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Spirit of God working upon hearts of men and women. So, we see here that redemption has been purchased. And at what a price. What a price that the Son of God had to lay down his life for men and women. The Son of God paid that price, the price the price which you and I were due to pay. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God. Our wages from our life and from our rebellion is death. Yet this one, this glorious eternal Son of God, brings life. And he does it by laying down his own life for his people. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So we see the Father is pleased that redemption has been purchased. The Father is pleased that sin is blotted out. Our sins are blotted out. God remembers our sin no more. They are cast away into the depths of the sea. Sin, your sin, your iniquity, your transgression is blotted out. And that's a, a theme of, of Isaiah 53. 
Time and time again, he talks about our transgressions. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Verse 6, the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 8, we read, for the transgression of my people was he smitten. In verse 11, we read, He shall see of the travel of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Friend, we have one here who bears away our iniquities, our sin and our transgressions. He's a glorious saviour. He has done a glorious work. And the Father is pleased. He is pleased. For he longs to have that relationship with his creatures. Those who have been created in his image. And we can only have that relationship when our sin is blotted out. And the Son of God has blotted our sins out. But alas, there are some of us who are still in our sin. Our sins are still open, still known. Oh, come to this blessed Saviour. Experience the joy and the peace of sins forgiven. There's no greater truth. There's no greater realisation that I have peace with God. For my sin has been blotted out. And then the father is pleased by his son's demonstration of his love for sinners. <laughs> the death of Christ was the ultimate demonstration of a triune God of his love towards sinners. It was a demonstration It was an open declaration. It wasn't hidden away in a corner. The Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross on the main road into Jerusalem. And there was a sign above his head of his crime. Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. In Hebrew, Latin and in Greek. It was an open declaration of his love for sinners and it brought pleasure to the father it brought joy to the father's heart and the father was satisfied with his sacrifice friends if you are a Christian here this morning your heart should be crying out hallelujah what a saviour he is the saviour saviour of sinners he's a saviour who covers all our sin, our open rebellion against God, of our iniquities and of our transgression, even our secret sins, those sins which are even secret to us. He is a saviour who is mighty, a saviour who can save to the uttermost.
Yet the cost of that salvation was great for the Son of God. My soul, in Psalm 88, my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. God of fairy God, yet man, who fills the troubles of his heart. He feels, he feels death beckoning to him. My, my soul is, is full of troubles. And my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am I'm counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that have no strength. And as he hung upon Calvary's cross, as his strength ebbed away from him, how true these words are, how apt they are for him, for his condition. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. They are cut off from thy hand. And Jesus Christ, at that point, was cut off by the Father, who couldn't look upon him as that great transaction was purchased on Calvary's cross. As our sin was laid upon the eternal Son of God, the Father cut him off. Lord, why cast thyself my soul? Why hidest thy face from me? Because of the sin of my people. I cannot bear to look upon his son as he bears your sin, my sin, as he bears it and carries it on Calvary's cross. He says, 15, I'm afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer by terrors, I am distracted. Physical agonies that the Lord Jesus endured upon Calvary's cross were real. They were physical. They were painful. But they were greater terrors. They were the terrors of the soul. The terrors of alienated from his father. That perfect union was broken. I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer by terrors, I am distracted. My fierce wrath goes over me. My terrors have cut me off. We see here the soul anguish, the deep anguish of soul The Lord suffered. They came round about me daily like water. The waves, as it were, encompassed him. The ignominy, the the spitting in the face, the slapping of the cheeks, the mocking and the scourging. These waves come upon the Saviour. They lay heavy upon his soul. Lover and friend, as thou put far from me, mine acquaintance into darkness. That's where Psalm 88 ends. Darkness. The Lord Jesus was laid in the grave. But friends, we know it didn't end in darkness. We know, as Scripture reveals itself in all its fullness, that the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead on the third day. And friends, is seated at the right hand of God today. 
and friends interceding for you and for me. Can you imagine that? Of all the prayers offered up in the world, God has an ear, and the Son perfects our feeble prayers, and he intercedes for his people, his God's right hand. So though this is a psalm of darkness, sometimes we are to walk such a psalm as this. But thankfully, not all of us are not all of the time. But it's there to remind us that there are dark days, and yet God is with us. God is for us. And we should take courage and comfort in such a psalm as Psalm 88. So friends, as we will shortly remember the Lord in his appointed way, Let's give thanks in our hearts. Let's rejoice in our great salvation and in our great Saviour. May the Lord add those thoughts, bless those thoughts to our hearts this morning. We will close this part of the service. We're singing hymn number 816. The sand of times are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Him eight one six.
give you thanks and praise for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's a great Saviour and worthy of our praise and our worship. And we thank you, Lord, that as we gather around this table, that you would be known in the breaking of bread. That, Lord, you would manifest yourself to us by the power of your Spirit. That, Lord, we may behold him in all his beauty and all his righteousness. We pray, Lord, that as we partake of this bread and of this cup, you're blessed to us. And that, Lord, as we do so, we may remember him in his appointed way. We thank you, Lord, for these simple emblems of his suffering and of his death. And we thank you, Lord, that we are one day closer to Emmanuel's land. We pray, Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. So, Lord, may we be blessed as we partake of this table now. In Jesus' name, amen.